great to be here. My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors here at Alpine. Um, we've been uh, starting a new series. Um, we started it last week, and it's on resilience. And when I, I really have a confession to make. When I originally heard that we were going to do this series, I was a little bit upset. And as you could imagine, that made it a little difficult for me to have that emotion going into a series on emotion. I didn't, I, I didn't want to dig into emotions. Um, growing up, uh, emotions were to be squashed. I wasn't to cry, and I wasn't definitely to share my feelings. Um, they were to be someplace over here. And then I didn't really like the title of the series or the, the intro slide. It looked my, like my psych book in college. <laughs> I thought I was going through a self-help series. So it took me um, to start preparing for the first message, which was last week, to face some truths. And the, the truth, there's a couple truths. The truth that God created our emotions and that he himself has emotions, and some of those emotions that God has, we're uncomfortable with. The truth that the enemy wants to use our emotions to destroy our faith. And then the truth that we are called to harness our emotions, those difficult emotions, to build our faith. And if you were with us last week, you would... Recall that the definition that we're using for resilient is harnessing difficult emotions to build our faith. So how do we harness anger, which is the emotion that we're going to be talking about today, to build our faith and not destroy us? Well, to begin with, we need to understand anger maybe a little bit deeper. So first, anger is often the superficial emotion covering a much deeper emotion. And we get a picture of this, actually, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 4. Genesis 4 starts off in verse 3. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So it says here that Cain's anger was coming out of this feeling of dejection. He was dejected because God had rejected his gift and had accepted Abel's. If you have a sibling, you probably are aware of this dejection feeling. It happens when you decide you're going to compare yourself to your sibling. I had an older sister. I have an older sister. Actually, her daughter's here today. But I have an older sister who was too smart. So, so 
every time she had a test, she could just look at the textbook, read through the textbook the night before real quick, and she'd get an A. And I had to struggle and struggle and struggle. So I didn't think that was fair. I thought it was not right, especially since we got money for the grades. So if you got an A, you got a dollar. If you got a B, I think you got 75 cents. And so for my hard-earned B, I got 75 cents, and she didn't even work for it, and she got a dollar. And so every time the report cards came out, she'd have more money than me, and she'd just, you know, kind of walk around with a smug look on her face. I'm over it. It, it, it doesn't really. <laughs> it's been 45 years, but I, I'm over it. Cain obviously felt this same comparison. It says that he gave some of his crops, but that Abel gave of the best portions. Now, there doesn't say anything that the best portions were required. And so I'm sure Cain thought that Abel was showing him up. But to God, it was a matter of the heart. It was the commentaries, Kyle and Delich, very well-known commentaries of the Old Testament that put it this way. They said, the reason is to be found rather in that fact that Abel's thanks came from the depth of his heart, whilst Cain merely offered his to keep on good terms with God a difference that was manifested in the choice of the gifts, which each one brought from the produce of his occupation. The choice shows clearly that it was the feeling through which the worshiper put his heart, as it were, into the gift, which made the offering acceptable to God. So the Lord had a couple of things to say to Cain, a couple of questions so we find that as we continue on in chapter 4, the Lord asked Cain, he says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? And then he goes on and says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. God does exactly what we learned last week that we talked about that we're to do ourselves, and that is when we have an emotion, a difficult emotion, we should be asking ourselves, why are we feeling this emotion? God asked Cain to think about, to explain, to express why he feels so angry. He wants Cain to understand and own the reasons for his anger. If he would have done so, if he would have asked those questions, he probably would have figured out that it really was not necessary. But let's be honest. We like to hang on to our anger. We do not like to let it go. Because if we let it go, then we have to own it, and then we recognize that it probably wasn't necessary in the first place. 
For Cain, he was casting his anger onto his brother Abel for showing him up. But if he asked the questions that God asked him, he would have realized and recognized that it was his own heart towards God that was the issue. And he didn't want to go there. And we don't want to go there, do we, if we're honest? Because if we did, 99% of the time, it's our heart that's the issue. And it's usually our heart towards God. Well, here's the problem without, with not asking those questions, besides not owning it, not owning the emotion. It opens the door, as the Lord says to Cain, it opens the door for the enemy to come in and to control and to destroy. Period. Ephesians 4, Paul says the same thing. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. For anger gives what? A foothold to the devil. God warns Cain of exactly this. He tells Cain, you, re you really need to get yourself in line here. You really need to harness this emotion. If you do, then things will go okay. But if you don't do it, he says, watch out. Cain decides not to, and his emotions master him. We find that in the next verse in chapter 4. One, Cain, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Perhaps you have some anger that you have not harnessed or mastered. Perhaps your anger is being driven by dejection or maybe by envy or maybe by feeling like you're being taken advantage of. Maybe you're annoyed. Maybe you're insecure. Hopefully, it's not resulted in you killing somebody. However, I do have a question for you. What has it killed? Because your anger will kill things. It will kill friendships. It will kill relationships. It will kill opportunities. It will kill inner peace. It will destroy. I had a roommate in college that uh, went absolutely berserk when we went down. He was my roommate. We went downstairs to play ping pong. And right when we got to the table, some other guys came up and stole the table. And he went absolutely berserk. He was so, so angry. So it took a long time to finally get to what the issue was. And it was that others had been taking advantage of him throughout his entire life. He had had experienced that over and over again. And because of it, he was unable to experience any freedom in his life. Even though 
even though he knew who God was, even though that he knew what God had done for him, he still had no freedom in his life because of this anger that was gripping him, that the enemy was using against him for years. If we don't harness our anger, we will destroy our faith. It will destroy our faith. We have to ask the questions that God asks. Why are you having this emotion? And we better listen to the warnings that the Lord gives to Cain. Well, in addition to anger being a superficial emotion covering a deeper emotion, anger can also boil over from unresolved frustration. We get a picture of this with Moses as he's entering the promised land. We pick this story up in Numbers um, chapter 20. It says, In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died, Moses' sister, and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. So listen to what these people were saying to Moses. They were saying, why do you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. It's not easy to be in management. (laughs) It's, It's really difficult to make people happy all the time. And this group wasn't happy all the time. <laughs> they grumbled a lot. In fact, the same thing had happened 40 years earlier. They had grumbled 40 years earlier to Moses about not having water. And at that time, the Lord said to Moses, grab your staff that you struck the Nile with, with the plagues, and strike the rock at Horeb to give them water. And he did, and they received the water. And now, at Israel's worst act of rebellion, we're seeing a repeat of the same thing. But there's one difference with this one, one key difference. Moving on in Numbers 20, it says, you and Aaron must take this staff and assemble the entire community As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. This time, Moses was just to speak to the rock. He was not to strike the rock. Most of us know what happens. So we go on, it says, Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen to what he says. He says, Listen, you rebels. Well, he probably said, well, I can't. I'm not going to shout. But he shouted. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. 
I think we can all relate to Moses here. When you get frustrated, you tend to take things in your own hands and do it your way. We know how we're supposed to handle it. We know. But anger gets the best of us, and we decide we're going to do it our way. And usually we do it our way because we want to make a point to the person that we're angry at. Right? Parents? Bosses? (laughs) Moses was fed up. He was frustrated at these people. No doubt about it. He, I mean, consider his position. He was actually in retirement when he got called into this gig to save these people. And then he's out there and his sister passes away without her ever seeing the promised land because of these bozos. And now they're whining again. And he was probably hangry. That's a real thing, hangry. Hungry and angry at the same time, or hungry, angry because you're hungry partially. So God told him to speak to the rock, but he couldn't help himself. He struck the rock twice. And I could imagine that he probably struck that rock because he wanted to show them that he had to go to this extent and put this effort in because of their whining. He probably was just so frustrated that he couldn't help but get his anger, get his anger out. How many of us have struck a wall and put a hole in the wall to get our anger out? You don't have to raise your hand. Others of us slam doors. If you're really, well, past a certain age, you also had the opportunity to slam the receiver down on the phone, right? <laughs> Nowadays, that's been taken away from you. <laughs> so maybe there's more holes in the walls. I'm not sure. But notice God's grace in this situation. Even though Moses messes up, God provides the water for the people. But that's not the end of the story. Moving on. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. There were consequences to Moses for not harnessing his anger. He wouldn't go into the promised land. It didn't separate him from his relationship with God, but it took all of the enjoyment out of it. He would spend the rest of his days in the desert. This is a picture of so many people who get stuck in anger rather than being resilient, rather than harnessing that anger and making sure it doesn't control them. 
it's an interesting picture. You have this abundant life. I mean, the abundant life is right there. And yet, because they can't harness that anger or that frustration, they never experience it. It's true. My roommate, when he surrendered that anger, he literally went from darkness to light in one second. Another question for you. What promised land are you missing out on today? Because you're holding on to that anger and you're not harnessing it. Well, we've seen that anger can be a superficial emotion covering a deeper emotion and that anger can boil over from unresolved frustration. And when that happens, we are to harness it so that it doesn't destroy us. But our anger, we're not just supposed to harness so that it doesn't destroy us. We're also supposed to harness anger so that we can build our faith, so that we can do acts of righteousness. And Jesus gives us an example of that in Matthew chapter 21. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scripture declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. I imagine Jesus had an emotion here. And it wasn't joy. He had an emotion of probably anger. Here is the next verse found in the Gospel of Dean, chapter 21. That's me, Dean, 21. <laughs> this is my gospel. This is the next verse. And with that, Jesus stormed out of the temple, past those standing in the midst, Mumbling that the people just didn't get it. That would be me. When I'm angry, I get fixated on that anger and I do not see anything else around me. Right? All you see is what you're angry about. But that wasn't Jesus' response. Let's look at the true scripture that follows. It says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. This is amazing. I mean, consider us when we go through the drive through they get our order wrong, and we have to go inside to make it right, to address it. The last thing on our mind is that homeless person that's at the door that's asking for some water. We don't even see him, do we? I don't, because I have one thing on my mind. 
Jesus harnesses his anger at those in the temple that were making a den of thieves, and he's able to immediately get on mission and set those in need free. The result, not only do the blind and the lame get healed, but those that are around, that see it, even the children are left declaring faith in him. That's the resilience we need. That's the resilience we need to harness when we have anger. It needs to drive us rather from our anger to acts of righteousness. Consider that. And one of the biggest acts of righteousness that we can do when we're anger, angry is what? Suffer the wrong. Hello? Suffer the wrong. That's an act of righteousness. Harness the anger. If you don't, you're going to end up like the religious leaders. I left this last part out of Matthew 21, 15. At the end it says, but the leaders were indignant. Kind of an irony. Jesus had every right to be indignant. They had no right to be. And yet, they were. And what was the result of that anger? Well, it opened the door. It opened the door to destruction. What happened a couple days later? They killed Jesus. They killed him. Remember what God said to to Cain? He said, you have a choice. You can refuse. But if you do, watch out. Because anger is going to kill. It may not kill physically, like Abel, Abel, but it will kill spiritually. And it might be you. Don't forget the verse that we've been leaning on throughout this entire series. It's Proverbs 4. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It certainly did for Cain and Moses. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and in his own words, he said, I'm a vagrant and a wanderer. And the ground that he walked on was cursed. Moses went up to the Mount Nebo to see the promised land. And all the scripture says, And although his eyes were not dimmed nor his vigor abated, he was in perfect health. He died. And he was buried in Moab where nobody knows where the burial place is. I don't think Cain or Moses had that course planned for their life. 
And yet, because of their anger, that's how it went. It's just like gravity. You can't play with it. Gravity, if I step off, I'm going to fall to the ground. If you hold on to your anger, it's going to change the course of your life. And it won't be good. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the examples that you have shown us in Scripture. Lord, um, maybe we've never really associated with Cain, but I think we all associated with Moses. I mean, we put Moses up on a high place as probably we should, but Lord God, you teach us that you know, we're all, we all have issues. We all have emotions that we need to harness. And then if we don't harness them and turn them over to you and turn them and use them for righteousness, we're going to find ourselves off course. It's going to take us down a road we don't want to go. We don't need to go. We won't experience that abundant life that you desire us to experience. That's right here, right now. But we don't experience it. Father, we ask that you would free us from any anger that we're not letting go of. You desire to redeem us fully, completely, all of us, not just a part of us. We ask that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.